Good evening. Welcome to Grace United Reformed Church. Um, our song leader isn't here, so uh, we're going to start from the Blue Psalter hymnal with number one. Number one. Let's sing all the verses of number one. will be number 318. 318, Holy, Holy, Holy. Let's sing the first two and the last. One, two, and four of 318.
Next, number 380. Let's sing all four of number 380. Number 412. 412, I love to tell the story. Let's sing the first and last two. First and last two of 412.
Last one will be number 463. Let's sing one and four. One and four of 463. I wanted to take a minute before we continue to update you on uh, what's happening in my life. Uh, we have a long history as a congregation and a visiting minister. Uh, I was preaching for you back in 94 at times when you were first starting. Hadn't called your first pastor yet. And you were meeting in the uh, Christian school um, just down the way. It looks different now, too. <clears throat> I'm still director of the Biblical Counseling Center, but I have officially gone part-time. And that's probably going to continue two more years and then I'll uh, retire from that completely, though I'll probably keep doing what I'm doing. Um, it's habits, hard to break. Tomorrow's my birthday. I'll be 70 years old. Um, I know some people are ashamed of their age. I say, well, the alternative <clears throat> is you die. And then you quit getting a year older every year. And I think it's pretty cool that I'm still getting a year older. My father uh, lived to be 95. And uh, my mother would have lived uh, much longer, but she was a smoker, and that took her early. Uh, so I have good genes behind me, and I expect to have uh, the last third of my life. I'm going to see where the Lord takes me and what's happening with that. My wife and I have become snowbirds. We're sick of Michigan winters. And so we go to uh, Florida for the uh, winter, and then we come back up here when the weather gets nice and enjoy Michigan and its splendor, spring, summer, and fall there's not a better place to be than right here. And uh, how the Lord's going to use me and what's going to happen in the future, we don't know. Um, but we didn't know what was going to happen the last 30 years either. And he's taken us all through these things. So it's exciting to see what the Lord is doing. Um, you'll have your 30th anniversary next year. My wife and I have our 50th anniversary in August. So <clears throat> I'm supposed to figure out something special to do. Um, guys, you have suggestions whisper something in my ear. Uh, <clears throat> nothing's coming to mind. 
So that's all I wanted to share with you about what's happening with me. Um, rumors are going around. I've shared information with people, and it's been widely misunderstood. Um, so now you've got the scoop on what's happening. I ask you to give attention to our call to worship from Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Let's join together, preparing our hearts in silent prayer. Let us stand together. Congregation of Jesus Christ, our hope is in the name of the Lord who created heaven and earth, graced you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing from the Psalter hymnal number 121, O God to us show mercy. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our psalm reading this evening is from Psalm 119. We'll begin at verse 161 and read to the end of the psalm. The word of God. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord. Your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you. Let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Let's respond by singing again from the Psalter hymnal 256, Though mighty foes assail me, Lord.
join together in prayer. Father, we come before you to praise you and thank you for the new life you've given us in Christ. We stand amazed that same things that seem so clear to us. We look at your creation and we see your hand. And our heart is moved to worship you and thank you for the beauty and wonder of the things we observe. And yet so many people are utterly blind and can't see these things. We are a privileged people and a blessed people. The obvious has been made obvious to us because once we were blind, but now we can see. And we thank you for the joy that brings to us. And we pray, Father, for those who have not come to saving faith in yourself, that you would yet have mercy upon them and bring them near. For they are lost as we once were lost. They were blind as we once were blind. Because you've opened our eyes, we sing your praises. We love your word and your statutes. And we, we hear the words of Psalm 119 and it echoes our own hearts. And we pray, Father, that many more would be given the gifts you've given to us. We pray for efforts and missions. We pray for our vacation Bible school that you would bring community children that allow us to reach into their families and share the gospel. And that you would bring your chosen ones to faith through this effort and strengthen our children and other children in the neighborhood as they have this opportunity to come and study your word and fellowship together. Bless those who are uh, working in this endeavor and raise up people in the community to attend. We pray, Father, for those who are engaged in home missions. We're grateful for the pastors and their wives and families who are seeking to plant churches in various places around the United States. We thank you for their zeal and their willingness to work hard. Not be discouraged because the numbers are small at times, but to know that their purposes have eternal meaning because they're proclaiming your word. And whether the audience is large or small, you are being honored, and that's what we're called to do. We pray, too, Father, for our foreign missionaries. We're grateful for the sacrifices they make being away from family and friends, the comfort of the homes they know, to serve you in other places. We pray that you would raise up workers to go to foreign lands to make your word known. We um, pray, Father, for the persecuted church where it's difficult for them to meet and many people that have been put in jail, uh, many killed because they have faith in you. And they're willing to do this. They see it as a just service. And we thank you for their zeal. And may the example of their zeal be an example to us to increase our willingness uh, to serve and support the cause of missions. We're thankful, Father, uh, for our own history that this congregation got started and has been faithful over the years. Continue to bless us. Add to our numbers that we could have the joy of seeing your people discipled and made strong during these trying times. Bring glory to yourself as you have always done. Help us not be discouraged by the growth of wickedness about us, but make us more bold to proclaim the truth. For we know in the end that Jesus wins. For he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And we're grateful, Father, that we will do it toward our blessing and joy. Why many will do it to their condemnation. Have pity upon those that are lost as you have had pity upon us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> our song of preparation, we stand and sing from the, the Trinity Psalter hymnal, number 19V. 119V.
Our scripture reading tonight is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll read the first eight verses. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not a man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to us. And there we end our reading. The title of the sermon is um, Free from Lustful Passions. Lustful passions demonstrate themselves in many ways. The word lust just means a strong desire. You might lust for a favorite food. And while it's something you shouldn't eat, you go ahead and get it anyway. My father-in-law does that. He's supposed to stay away from salt. So he buys potato chips, the salted ones. And pretzels, the salted ones. Because after all, I don't have that many years left, and I have the right to enjoy myself. And argument is, you enjoy yourself more if you're not sick, and it goes on. Well, have you ever eaten something that you shouldn't have eaten, more than you should have eaten? Yeah. Have you ever bought something because you just really wanted it, and it turned out not to be as great as you thought it would be, but at the moment, you really wanted that thing? You know, lustful passions, they come upon us in in many ways. Maybe you've given in to the temptation to gossip. You learned something, and it was just so juicy, you had to share it. Even though you know the Bible urges us not to be gossips. These things are common. They impact every one of us. Not all of us are going around all the time giving in to them. I think all of us have given in to them one time or another. Children, you do it. You know what the rules of your home are. But sometimes the desire to break those rules is so strong, you just forget about the fact that you shouldn't do it, and you let yourself do it anyway. The emotion of the moment is just so strong that it overcomes you. And afterwards, you're sorry you did it. When your parents said, you know that's wrong, why did you do that? You just hang your head because you don't have an answer. I, I don't know. I know it's wrong. I'm really sad I did it. I'm sorry. Well, if if you know it's wrong, you're sorry. Why'd you do it in the first place? Because lustful passions get a hold of us at times. We have to understand that. The passage tells us that this is God's will, your sanctification. Now, sanctification fits every part of life. Here, though, God is narrowing it down to a very narrow area of life. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So God's saying, as he was writing to the Thessalonians, 
And sexual immorality among the Gentiles in that day was very common. It was part of their worship of false gods. It's what you did when you went to a temple. You worshipped by engaging in physical acts that God had condemned. And when you're saved out of that, well, at first, it doesn't seem that bad because you're used to it. Everybody you know does it. And so these issues had to be addressed very pointedly to the church in that age. It's a problem in our age as well, in different ways, but it's still a problem. And it's right that we talk about these things, because the Bible talks about these things. And you can talk about them properly. We don't have to embarrass people. We don't have to overly shame people. And if you think I've crossed lines that were uh, unbecoming to cross, I hope you say something to me after the service. Because I think these are things we can talk about openly with our families here, with both genders here. There are only two, by the way. And we can be blessed by it, not hurt by it. He says he wants us to abstain from sexual immorality. Now, what's sexual immorality? Well, it's expressing our sexuality any way that God says we shouldn't. So it's sexually immoral to pretend you're a woman if you're a male. It's sexually immoral to pretend you're a man if you're a woman. Now, I'm not talking about things that maybe you're going to be in a play, and the people in the play, well, we're short one guy, uh, and so we're going to put a mustache on you, and you're going to pretend you're this guy in the play. You get to be snidely whiplash and be the bad guy. And everybody understand what's going on there? You're, you're in a play, and you're pretending this for a purpose, and that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about trying to actually act as though you are something that you're not. It's also talking about ways in which we express our sexuality that God has forbidden. And there are many of those. I'm not going to get into all of them. Because those of you who have the age and life experience to know what I'm talking about already know what I'm talking about. And those who don't have the age or life experience know what I'm talking about don't need to know it just yet. So if, children, young people, you have questions that I'm not answering as I'm going through this, it's time to talk to your parents. And parents, if your children ask you questions that might be a little difficult to interact with, it's time to interact with it and help them understand these things. These have got to be things we can talk about in our families because it's a part of life. And if we're going to prepare our children to live their lives to the glory of God, then we've got to talk about these things. And it's possible to do that. If you have problems doing that, then give me a call. I'll walk you through it. It's not hard. But it can be difficult if you've never done it. And I've run into people there. Their parents never talked to them. And their grandparents never talked to their parents. And it comes down the line that these are just things we never talk about. And somewhere along the line, we have to break that chain of events and say, it's a part of life we need to talk about. I'm not going to send my children out in this wicked world unprepared to know what's going on and how to fight it. And that's what our passage is talking to us about today. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. He says, we have to learn something. 
We have to learn how to control our body in holiness and honor so the passions of life, whatever kind of passion it is, is not allowed to take a hold of us. So children, again, you have great parents because they make you do something that you ought to do when you don't feel like doing it. And you say, but I don't want to! And my mother had a comeback for that. So I quit saying I don't want to because I got tired of her comeback. And I said, I don't want to do it. And she said, well, you don't always get your way. You know, people in hell want ice water and they don't get it either. Now go and clean your room. So I went and cleaned my room. I had a chip on my shoulder when I did it, but I did it. What is it that it's some reasonable chore for us to do? I need to do my homework. It's time to go to bed. I have to quit quarreling with my brother or sister who's incredibly obnoxious. And I don't feel like doing it. And your parents are saying, you don't live your life by what you feel like in the moment. You live your life by what you know to be right. So sometimes... Mean old mom and dad will say, no, you cannot have a second piece of cake. You had a piece of cake. Yeah, but it's great. I want more. No. We have to learn to control our appetites, don't we? Part of life. And while we have parents to stand over us and make us do the wise thing, that helps us learn lessons. It doesn't really hurt me to do what is right. In fact, after I've done what is right, I'm glad I did it. Before I did what was right, I kind of didn't want to do it. But I'm glad I did it. And we have that experience over and over and over. And I begin to mature. And this kind of control over the passions, the lust, the desires of my body becomes something that I'm able to control. And that is a life skill that will serve you well throughout your life. It's a very good thing. And so that's why sometimes we know we're not making you happy, and we really do like to make you happy. But we know in the long run, if I don't teach you this, you're going to regret it, and your life will be poorer because I never taught you self-discipline. I never taught you that you could experience saying no to yourself And in the end, be glad that you did it. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he's telling us something here that's very important, and I find it's usually not brought out. I think most men, I'm going to teach you something about your sexuality that you haven't learned yet. Even though some of you are even older than I am. The Bible teaches us that there's two kinds of sexuality. There's a lustful sexuality that's controlled by the feeling of the moment. And when you give in to it, you frequently sin. But there's a non-lustful sexuality. And... It sees things the way God sees things. You know, what's, what is a lustful sexuality about? It's all about perversion. I see something, and I see it in a favorable light. 
So let's say that we see somebody, be it male or female, who's dressed in an immodest manner. I'm not going to get more specific than that. That's fine for us to understand what I'm talking about. Degrees of immodesty can go really, really far. But it's immodest. Now, when we're exposed to immodesty, if we have a lustful sexuality, we'll be drawn toward it. We'll see that perversion as something desirable. But if I have a non-lustful sexuality and I'm exposed to immorality, I will feel shame and embarrassment. I won't be drawn toward it. In 2 Corinthians 10.5 it says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I want to see what God sees, not the perversions of the world or my flesh or the devil. When God says, this is good, I want to see it as good. When God says, this is bad, I want to see it as bad. But I battle that all the time. The world, the flesh, and the devil comes and says, hey, Ken, here's something you really enjoy. And I'm going, well, you're right, I could enjoy that. But wait, God says it's bad. Now, why is my first response to say, well, you're right, I could enjoy that? Because my heart's not as pure as it ought to be. That circumstance is revealing to me the growth and grace that's still needed within me. It's what it does to all of us. Because if my heart were where it should be, and it is sometimes, and the world comes and says, hey Ken, here's something you'll enjoy, my first reaction is, no I wouldn't. That's perverse. That's evil. That's wicked. I wouldn't have to think about it. I just respond that way. And the good news is, whatever the lustful passion we wrestle with, we can train ourselves to respond that way. The world likes to say, particularly to you men, we can't help it. We're hardwired this way. And you're going to have those responses, and it's just the way it is. You can't do anything about it. And many Christian writers have agreed with that because it fits with their experience. See, where do do we all start? We start on the wrong side of things. How many of you have had to teach your children to disobey? Wait, I can't raise my hand. How many of your children came in the world with the natural ability to disobey? All of us. We're born with a sinful nature. That means I'm prone to all the various lusts that the world has to offer. And if I don't train myself in another direction, then they get a hold of me. You know, sometimes you look around, even at a TV show about it, about these 600-pound people, you know, they eat so much that they can no longer move. They can't get out of bed. But their family supports them 
and keeps bringing them the food. Of course, their health is in a terrible state. And their life is in a terrible state. They're just trapped by their own bodies. And you kind of scratch your head and going, why would somebody let themselves get to there? They didn't plan it out. They didn't want to go there. But they never learned the ability to say no to themselves. And it took them there. And we scratch our heads. We hear from time to time of various scandals that happen, even within the church. And we're going, I, that, that, that person was so respected, and now I know this about them. And why would they do that? Same thing. They didn't do the work they needed to do to set them free from the lustful passions that are by nature ours. Now, God in his mercy doesn't let everyone deal with every possible problem they could have. You know, some of our children are just nice and thoughtful. I don't know where they get it. But others of our children aren't nearly as nice or thoughtful. Girls in the same family. But God has blessed this one child with a very soft heart, a very tender heart, that naturally cares for others. Now, they have other sinful issues they have to wrestle with, but that's not one of them. And we see it varying between all of us. God is pleased to allow each of us to struggle in this or that area of life, but he strengthens us, and these other areas of our life aren't particularly difficult for us. And it's great. We always wish he would strengthen us in the areas where we're weak. But God, in his holy wisdom, has ordained it to be as it is. And it's our job, then, to step up to the plate and seek from God the grace to become the people he wants us to become. And so we struggle with it. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. When the world, when my flesh tells me, this is a good thing, desire it and do it. I have to recognize that's a lie that I love to believe. Maybe you don't think of yourself that way. I bet you every one of you have lies you like to believe. Because they fit with where the flesh wants to take you. We're destroying these speculations. We're destroying every lofty thought raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. No, I don't want to be quick with a put down. Can't help it, I'm just really good at it. It's one of my skills of life. You know, quick comeback. And and I almost always come out on top. Well, let's see. Which of the fruits of the Spirit is that exhibiting? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Gentleness, self-control. I don't think any of them are in that. Well, maybe this ability to have the quick comeback isn't something God wants me to have. But I like it. I'm good at it. Maybe it's something you shouldn't be liking because it's wicked. We have to recognize these things. 
and we have to fight against it. I have to destroy this speculation and this lofty thought raised up against the knowledge of God to think because I am good at something that hurts other people and I'm better at it than most other people are, it's a life skill I should cultivate. It's one you should put to death. It's wicked. We're called to love others and consider others more important than ourselves. And so it goes with every part of life. So, in learning to control our sexuality, we learn there are two kinds. There's the lustful kind. And if I have the lustful kind, I'm going to act out on that from time to time. Men will talk to me and say, I don't get it. I hate this. I stop it. I go for a long while without it. And then I find myself turning back to it. What's wrong with me? And I say, well, what's wrong with you is that you put this twisted sexuality in a cage. But the problem is, it's an escape artist. And the second problem is, once in a while, you slip at the key. Because it's kind of fun when it breaks loose. And God says, don't lock it up. Kill it. Be done with it. Put it to death. And it's possible to do. If we go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, we have an explanation of how to do that. He says in verse 22, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, creating the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We said biblical change has three parts to it. We put off the old man, we are renewed in the spirit of our mind, and we put on the new man. If we don't do all three steps, biblical change does not happen, lasting change does not happen, We stop something for a season, but then we restart it. Everybody's good at stopping something for a little while. You know, if if, uh, children, you've gotten in trouble, and mom or dad really came down on you about quibbling with your siblings, for the next hour or two, you're good as gold. But then that starts to wear off a little bit. And you didn't like getting in trouble, and you didn't get into worse trouble, so you held your tongue. But you weren't convinced that being rude or quarrelsome with your siblings was really something bad that you should not do. So you went back to it. Because you stopped it temporarily, but you weren't changed. And that's what has to happen. Why do we do the wrong things that we do, even though we agree with God, we say, this is wicked, this is wrong, I don't want to do it, I hear the word of God, the spirit within me resonates with the word of God, I'm not arguing and saying, what a stupid rule, I'm saying, yes, that's right, that's a good way to live, I want to live that way, and then I don't. Well, because that part of me is not very sanctified yet. And throughout our whole life, we're going to find those parts of us that aren't as sanctified as they ought to be just yet. And that's where we come to this recipe for biblical change. We have to put off the old man. 
which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. These desires that tell us, if I do this, my life will be better. If I do this, I will be blessed. If I do this, I will be happy. And it always brings us shame and misery. Now, let's see. The last time I gave in to this temptation, it resulted in shame and misery. The last ten times, it resulted in shame and misery. So I'm pretty sure it won't this time. What? How many times do we have to learn the same lesson? Many, many times. Because we often don't want to give up our pet sins. We're told to put off the old self. Stop it. What's that look like? Well, if we're, we're dealing with our, what our main text is talking about, putting off a lustful sexuality, it means whenever I'm exposed to immodesty and I have an impure response to it, I confess that to God. Lord, that's wicked. Look at where my heart is. That ought to disturb me. I ought to feel ashamed with that rather than attracted to it. I confess to God. My heart is full of wickedness on this matter. And he says, put on the new man. What's that mean? That means I confess to God. This is what it would look like if I were having a holy reaction. I wouldn't need to think about it. I would just immediately feel shame and embarrassment and want to leave. When I'm talking to people, I use an illustration. You've probably experienced it. Have you ever walked in on somebody in the bathroom or have somebody walk in on you? What's the reaction? Why don't you lock the door? Why don't you knock? The person who came in wants to get out of there as soon as possible. The person in there wants you to get out as soon as possible. It's a violation of privacy I did not intend to do and I wish I hadn't. And you did not want me to do and wish I hadn't. And immediately, it doesn't take any thought or anything, immediately, we're both experiencing shame and embarrassment. Let's stop this situation as quickly as we can. And we don't have to work at it. It just happens that way. Now, if you're very young, you might not be there yet. You know, some very young people haven't developed a sense of privacy yet. And they just don't get it and... They, they still think it's fun to run around the backyard in a sprinkler naked. And <clears throat> at a certain age, that's okay. But as we get older, we begin to develop a sense that, you no, know, that privacy is appropriate in various situations. And when that's disturbed, we feel shame and embarrassment. It should be the same in these other situations. So <clears throat> it's put off the old man, put on the new man, be renewed. I confess, I'm having this reaction, and it's wicked. This is how I ought to be responding, but it's not what I'm doing. And then I pray. What's the means God uses? He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He says, if I confess my sin, he will change me. And so every time it happens, we confess it to God. This is not right. What does the scriptures tell us? If we ask anything according to the will of God, he will hear us. Now, he doesn't always hear us as quickly as I would like. 
Sometimes we have to persevere in these prayers. Paul prayed three times that this thorn in the flesh, there's different interpretations of it, but personally I think it was a sin he wrestled with. I think it was a sin of covetousness. He talks about that in the book of Romans, and it makes sense with his life. He grew up a rich kid. He had private tutors. He had servants. It was all good. And then he came to faith, and he lost all that. But from time to time, he would have a rich convert. He had been invited into their homes. There's all the luxuries again. There's the servants again. There's the finery again. Would he find his heart wrestling with covetousness to a degree? I can imagine he might. And he prayed for the Lord, take it away. It's not the kind of man I want to be. And God says, no, my grace is perfected in weakness. You keep struggling with it. You keep confessing it. You keep admitting it. it's wrong. You keep praying to me. The time will come when I take it away, but not just yet. All right, if that's where I'm at and the Lord wants me to deal with it, I will deal with it. <clears throat> if every time we give in to sin... We treat it seriously. I don't feel the shame and back away from it. I step up and embrace the shame. Father, I want to feel ashamed of this because I want to feel ashamed of this before I even do it. And if I won't embrace the shame after I've done it, I'm never going to learn to embrace the shame before I do it. I want to feel so ashamed at just thinking about this that I couldn't bring myself to do it. And so if your lust is you're a shopaholic and you run the credit cards up way higher than you should because you just can't say no to buying one more thing because it makes you feel so special to buy something and to have the clerk gush over you about what a discerning shopper you are to pay $150 for something that's worth $15 and, <clears throat> and it comes in this really cool box and it's put in this really cool bag with tissue paper in it that crackles in an appealing way and you get to carry the bag around and look very sophisticated and people go, wow, I wish I could afford to buy things that lady can buy. Well, she can't afford to buy those things, but she does anyway. And she got all of this positive feedback coming. It makes me feel special. People treat me like I'm special. I just enjoy it on so many levels and she has to learn to say no to it. That's a hard transition to make. I mean, she backed herself in a tight spot. Guys do it too, but, you know, it's, it's not the, the little thing from the cosmetic counter. <clears throat> it's boy toys. We've got to get another Ski-Doo or tractor or whatever that uh, really pleases us. And all those things are fine in their place, but sometimes they're out of place. The passions of life can take us over and lead us into misery. The scriptures very clearly and very pointedly tell us be particularly concerned about sexual immorality. Know how to control your body in holiness and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. We know God and we can be a different people. If it's something you struggle with, talk to me. If it's not that, but some other lust that you're struggling with and you want some help in how to get past it, talk to me. Everybody's got these things. Some people are fairly on top of it. Some people are not. We all need to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. 
And we all want to grow in that grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and the richness of it. And we pray that you would drive it home to our hearts. Help us enjoy the freedoms in Christ that are ours because he lived, died, and was resurrected on our behalf. Because we are new creatures in Christ and the old has passed away and the new has come. Because your spirit dwells within us and we can live lives of holiness, of devotion, of righteousness. Not because we are good, but because the good one lives within us. Convict us where necessary. Comfort us too. With your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're standing and singing from the Psalter Hymnal 439. I will sing of my Redeemer.
Father, we come again this evening to bring you our offerings. We pray for the um, Institute for Reform Biblical Counseling and ask that you would bless that ministry, that you would give the counselors wisdom and minister to your people as they come seeking help to understand your word and live righteous lives, to find the peace and joy of your salvation and freedom from sin and <clears throat> confusion in their lives. Uh, bless us as we give. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our offering hymn is 437, More Love to Thee, O Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forever. Amen.